One day after a church service, little Johnny came up to the pastor and he, he gave him a dollar. And the pastor thought Johnny had forgotten to put in the offering plate, so he put in the offering plate for him. The next Sunday, once again, Johnny gave him another dollar, and once again, the pastor put the dollar in the plate. The third Sunday, though, the pastor saw that Johnny put his offering in the plate and still gave him a dollar after the service. And so the pastor asked, Johnny, why did you do that? And Johnny replied, you know, pastor, I gave you the dollar because I overheard my mom and dad talking, and they said, you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. None of you give me a dollar after a service. <laughs> I take credit card. No. <laughs> Preaching is difficult. People ask me, how can you do it every Sunday? And I say, I don't know, but thank God for his word, and his word's good. Um, it's hard to preach in front of a bunch of sinners. Even worse, it's hard to preach when I'm a sinner. I don't always like my own sermons. It's terrible when, when I give myself that dollar. And so it's a bad thing. Someone once said the best thing of preaching is that if you preach a bad sermon, there's always next week. The worst thing about preaching is if you preach a good sermon, there's always next week. <laughs> Richard Lisher, who's a pastor and writer, tells about a time when he got a chance to preach in an African-American church. And he was so excited, this Lutheran, lily white Lutheran, born and raised, Missouri Synod. I mean, he was ready to just law and gospel the congregation, move the congregation. He had this polished ser sermon all together. He was ready to just move the masses. It was a big church. And he was excited. He was, he was praying all week for the event. And as he got in there and he said his prayer, he began to preach. As he started to preach, the congregation suddenly became very still. Now that works in a Lutheran church. But you know you're in trouble when you're in an African-American church and no one's moving. In fact, he's going, he's starting to get flustered, and, and one woman says out loud, she says, help him, Jesus. <laughs> Obviously, didn't Jesus wasn't answering because a few moments later, someone said, what's the point? Which does happen. And then finally, a third person said, make it plain. And Lisha said when he heard that third word, he realized, okay, now I know what I have to do. And so he got the message and delivered a wonderful sermon after that. Help him, Jesus. Like, none of you are allowed to say that either. <laughs> now I share all this with you because I long for the day when sermons will cease. Not because I'm tired of writing sermons. That's not what I mean. I long, though, for the day when there will be no more needs for a sermon. On that final day, there'll be no more need for preaching because there's no need for faith. On that great tomorrow, we will see Christ face to face and we will no longer need faith because on that day, our faith will be sight. And so we need no more sermons. I long for that day. In our reading from Matthew 25, Jesus speaks of that last day, that great tomorrow. And on that day, Jesus tells us that he will come as the Son of Man in all his glory. Listen to verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Now that word, the key word is Son of Man in that, in that verse. 
The son of man is a very technical word. It's used all throughout the Old Testament, not often, but when it's used, it's used in the Old Testament, New Testament, for the coming reign of the Messiah, when the Messiah will come from God. And when the son of man comes, when the Messiah comes, there will be no more sin, no more death, no more devil. When the Messiah comes, the son of man, the weapons of warfare will be destroyed. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Justice will roll down the mountains. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more funerals. That will be a good and glorious day, a great day, a great tomorrow. Now, one of the reasons the people of Israel reject Jesus as the Messiah is because his first coming wasn't what they expected. They were expecting the Messiah. They were expecting the Son of Man in all his glory. But when Jesus first came, he came in grace. He came in humility. Jesus put on lowliness. Jesus was humiliated. Jesus suffered pain, thirst, sorrow, temptation. He was spit upon, mistreated, despised, and killed. Hardly the picture of the Son of Man. Hardly the picture of of what the Messiah is supposed to be. Now, we know why he did this. He had to come in a low form because he was saving the lowly. The Magnificat even sings of that, where where Mary sings of how God brings down the proud and, and raises up the lowly. And so Jesus had to become the lowly in order to save us, the lowly. He had to be born in a manger and not in Rome, in the seat of Caesar, because he came for the lowly. He came for us. So that's why he had to come that way. However, it still makes it difficult when you're expecting the Messiah, the Son of God in all his glory. I mean, I think all of us fall into this trap as well. We expect that Jesus will answer every question, every need, just like that. He is, on the, he is at the right hand of the Father. Surely, all things will be answered just as we expect them to be. Now, we won't say it like that, you know. And there is some faith in us and humility where we know, no, in God's time, we might be asking for the wrong thing. But deep down, we have such a faith in in Christ and his exalted position that it can make it terribly difficult to live in the now and in the today. Because we're not yet at that day of glory. We're still part of that day of humiliation. We still suffer. We still have doubts. We still struggle. The devil still rules on this earth. And so things become messy in the here and now, in the today. But on that great day, on that great tomorrow, Jesus is going to put all those things together, fix what was wrong. I like what Tony Campolo, when he preached the sermon, he said, today is Friday, but he said, Sunday is a coming, right? And many of you have heard that sermon where, and that's where we're at. Today is Friday, the day of humiliation, even for the church. I mean, all you have to do is read the newspaper. It's humiliating to be a Christian. It's humiliating sometimes to be ELCA, but all you LCMS, it's humiliating to be LCMS too. I mean, it, it, it's humiliating. Today's Friday, but Sunday's coming. 
On that day, that great tomorrow, all things will be put together. I can't wait for that day. In fact, our scripture reading tells us on that great tomorrow, the nations will be gathered before Jesus. Now, most of us, when we hear that, we understand all the nations are going to be before Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. All the nations will stand judgment. That's true. But there's more to it than just that. Because a chapter earlier, Jesus says something very important about the nations. He says this in Matthew 24, 9. He says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. You see, the gathering of the nations isn't just for, for judgment. The gathering of the nations is a testimony to the power and the strength of the gospel. Because the gospel will go out to the ends of the earth and will reach all people groups. And when it does that, and when that's complete, then the end will come. Then the nations will be gathered. Now, this shouldn't surprise any of us. Jesus' whole ministry was about mission. It was about bringing the whole world and saving the whole world. Even though he came for Israel, he also came for the whole world. In fact, in Matthew, in the very beginning of Matthew, who were the ones who received Jesus? The Magi. The Magi, were they Israel's kings? No, they were foreign kings. Foreigners received Jesus, even as an infant. Or in his adult days, Jesus, in his ministry, he cared for the Roman soldier in need. And he healed the Canaanite woman's son. Even more, Jesus told his disciples that they'd be fishers of men. And that they would be lights to the world. And before his ascension, his last words, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples. Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so when all the nations are gathered together, it's because the power of the gospel has gone out and has worked. And it's on that day when the nations will be gathered before God. Yes, for judgment, but yes, as a testimony to the power of God's word. I think all of us should remember this as we drive through little Saigon. Or we need to remember this when we run into people of a different ethnic group. Because on that last day, ethnicity doesn't mean a thing. Faith in Christ means everything. And we will be standing next to people who we might have even looked down upon our whole life. And those people will be praising God next to us, side by side, proclaiming God's faithfulness. It'll be a good and great day on that day. In fact, on that great tomorrow, there will be mercy and judgment. In fact, we read that the sheep will hear the words, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The goats, on the other hand, will hear the words, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The sheep and the goats. Now, many of us, if you're struggle with this passage, and I struggle with it. We struggle to understand it. And we, the, one of the reasons we struggle to understand it is because Jesus is talking about the future. He's talking about the day of glory. We're not in that day of glory. So we don't quite have that understanding. We, we run up to a wall, 
But we can't see it. We can't fully understand why that judgment works. We can't understand why, how God can be loving, sending Christ, and yet judging as well. We, we can't fully understand that. We can have ideas. We can have theories. But there's a limit to us. We can't break through that day until we're at that day. And on that day, when we see Christ face to face, everything will make sense. But until then, we're stuck with just little glimpses of what this could be about. Now, I think when we think about this day, lately a lot of of more liberal groups have said, the way you become a sheep is by taking care of the lowly ones, right? You've probably heard sermons like that. You know, if you take care of the poor, you take care of the lowly, then you'll be a sheep. If you don't, well, then you're a goat, right? And so, so it makes you think twice every time you pass someone by with a sign, you go, oh, I better take care of them because I want to be a, a sheep, not a goat. In fact, I always think it's kind of humorous that here Judas is rebuked, and he rebukes, he's rebuked by Jesus when he says, Jesus, when the woman's washing his feet with oil, anointing his feet, Jesus, why are you letting her do that? You could have sold that and given the money to the poor. And Jesus says, no, no, this is what she needs to do. The Son of Man will not always be with you. Now, the point in all this is that it's difficult to understand the sheep and the goats, but there are a few things we can understand. And here's what we can understand. Jesus says something very telling in this passage. He says in verse 41, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now that key word is brothers. All throughout the gospel, Jesus refers to the disciples as his brothers. Matthew 12 says, that, that remember when the, the brothers came up to Jesus and, and it's his mother, who, you know, they said, let us in. And Jesus says, who are my brothers? Who is my mother? Those who do my will. And then in Matthew 24, Jesus promises that his brothers will be hated, despised, persecuted, and mistreated. After the resurrection, Jesus comes to the disciples and says, tell the brother, or tell, he comes to the women and says to the women, tell my brothers that I'll meet them in Galilee. Now, this is important because when it says, those of you who received even the least of my brothers, he's speaking of those disciples and the message that they bring and what happens to the sheep, what makes the sheep the sheep is the fact that they received even the least of those brothers. They've received the gospel and they believed it and they believe that Jesus is the good shepherd. And in believing that, believing, receiving those brothers, they are sheep. That's important. Because as I'm looking out this congregation, I'm looking at a lot of sheep. You guys should, right? I mean, (laughs) you're sheep. Believe it. Christ died on the cross for you. You're sheep. He is your good shepherd. You are sheep. Oh, but, but I don't always receive the brothers. Well, then start receiving them. But your sheep, you know the gospel. You know Christ died on the cross for you. Your sheep. Your sheep. Go home today and bow all you want because you're sheep. Believe that. Trust it. Receive that word. Your sheep. 
I spoke to my mom this day, or just this morning, and, and they go to Lutheran Church down, you know, in Fallbrook, and they know that this is going to be the same passage. I go, oh, I'm preaching on the sheep and the goats. She goes, oh, that passage. I said, Mom, don't worry about it. John 3.18, those who believe in the Son will not be judged or are not judged. You're a sheep. So I said, when the pastor asks if you're a sheep or a goat, say, just go, bam, Mom, because that's what it is. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> Maybe. It depends if you, yeah. <laughs> Depends how nice you are. But you're a sheep. And so on that great and glorious day, when the preaching will cease, when faith will be sight, God will say to you, come, receive your inheritance. Come, receive the inheritance prepared for you by my Father from the foundation of this world. It's good to be a sheep. And yet there's one problem for all of us. And the problem is, the elephant in this room is the fact that today is not tomorrow. Even though the hour is approaching, we're closer today than yesterday, even though the kingdom is advancing, today is not tomorrow. Today is not the day of glory. Today, we are not before the throne. Today, we do not see Christ face to face. Today... We wonder how God can be both loving and judging at the same time. Today, we're stuck with bad sermons. So get your dollars ready. Even more, today, doubt, sin, rejection, humiliation, they continue to plague us. And today, the cause of world missions needs to occur. Because if we don't share the message, if the gospel's not spoken, people will not hear it. And so today is the day to preach the gospel and carry it to the ends of the earth. And today we come to the table and we receive only a foretaste. Oh, I wish it was more. I can't wait for the big feast. But today we get only a small foretaste of the feast to come. And today we do not hear our Lord say, come receive your inheritance. Because today is not the day of glory. So doubt and frustration and sin and questions and scandal remain. But take heart in this. Even though today is not the day of glory, it is still the day of grace. And our Lord says on this day, Come unto me, all who are weak, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hear our Lord's invitation on this day. Bring your brokenness to the Lord's table and taste, even though just a foretaste, but taste that he is good and that he loves you and that you're forgiven and that you are one of his own, one of his sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.